Ben for leading us in prayer. Uh, well, it's so good to be here with you all this morning. I, uh, this has been a fabulous weekend for me because I've had a chance to spend time with a lot of you at the retreat. About 30 of us, I think, were gathered there, which is amazing. And uh, what was amazing was also to be at the South, Southern Alberta Bible Camp. I'd never been here there before. It's an amazing place. Uh, if you've never been there, uh, I hope you have the chance to see it. To me, it's a, it's a wonderful example of what God is doing through so many ministries. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, the thing that's so interesting to me is that ministries like this wouldn't be possible were it not for churches like this. That there are hundreds of amazing ministries all around the world because of the church. And that's of places like this. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. I'm excited about uh, the church and about God's plan for the church. And so um, one of the, there's so many places we could, we could uh, go to when we speak about the church. But I want you to just remember this passage from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, where we read... <clears throat> They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, when I was a child, uh, growing up in rural Manitoba, my first experience to the church uh, was a little little white uh, building out in the country, and I remember my dad being my first Sunday school teacher. And our family had a really close relationship with a pastor and his family. I mean, what were there? Maybe four or five families. There weren't that many. And we used to spend time with them, and they used to spend time with us. And I uh, believe that uh, that pastor and his wife had a huge impact on my parents and really were responsible for discipling them uh, as far as their own work or walk with the Lord was concerned. And it's because of that pastor in many ways that I'm here before you this morning. This pastor had a tremendous role in the life of my family uh, at that time. Later we moved to Chilliwack, B.C., and uh, the church took on a whole new meaning because of its size, the ministry of the pastor's preaching, and also the missionaries who who came to uh, speak there. And it was there in that church that I was baptized and sensed God's call to Christian ministry. Eventually, because of my dad's work, we we moved into Vancouver, and there we became participants in an even larger church that had a huge impact uh, on my life. And then eventually I ended up in uh, Regina to go to Bible college and uh, get theological training and so on. And I went to a church... um, there that uh, uh, my wife also was attending, and we met each other, 
And so I met my, my wife in the church, and uh, then together we went on to North Battleford later, and uh, then uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and then eventually Prince George, uh, where we were involved in pastoral ministry. But through the past, though the pastoral journey has been, not been without its challenges, it has been a huge blessing wherever we have gone. You know, in, in these years, in the last 15 years or so, I've been in about as many different churches serving in different ways. And it's always such a delight to get to know uh, people in these various churches and to see what the church is all about. Uh, you know, sometimes because of the, of the way things go and the things that happen in our lives, we can easily develop a kind of a ho-hum attitude about the church. And especially in this time when, you know, the church is under a lot of criticism, so to speak. It's being marginalized in many ways. And so I think it's important that we go back to the scriptures to see what God had in mind for the church. It's not surprising that the Bible has a lot to say about the church. And there are so many references in the scriptures to the church. The word is actually used in two ways in what we might call the Big C Church and the Little C Church. The Big C Church refers to the church in its more generic sense, uh, what we sometimes refer to as the, the universal church, consisting, consisting of all those everywhere and throughout all history who have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior in their lives and been baptized into his name. This is the sense in which Paul often refers to the church, especially in his letter to the Ephesians. For there in Ephesians uh, 3.10, he says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's an awesome picture of what God had in mind, but there's even a, a greater picture of what the church is really all about, and we find it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where the, uh, the apostle has this vision of uh, what's going to take place someday. After this, he said, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. <clears throat> And they were, holding, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the, to the Lamb. This is such an amazing expression of, of what the church is really, really all about. And what the climax of the, of the whole, whole uh, business of the church is. It's God's grace in Christ that makes it possible for anyone to be part of this great body of people who have been baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit into Christ. And this isn't something, of course, that happens automatically for any of us. We aren't born into the church. In fact, in order to be part of the church, you have to be reborn. You need to be born again, as the scriptures say. There's, there's much about faith and rebirth that is mysterious. But according to the Bible, assurance of a relationship with God and participation in the church comes about by a personal confession of faith concerning the gospel. In other words, you have to agree that Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and that he rose again. This is how one becomes a believer. This is how one is born again. This is how one becomes part of what the church is all about. And, it, it, and this participation in the larger church is um, <clears throat> confirmed uh, in our lives by, by water baptism. It's a great blessing to know that you belong to the universal body of the believers called the church. And this is the most important membership of all. And you know, you can travel almost anywhere in the world and quickly become part of the fellowship of other Christians because of this common confession of faith in Christ. And as I say, you know, I haven't traveled to great uh, places or a lot of places in the world, but I've I've sure been to a lot of places in Canada where the church exists and to, to uh, you know, participate in the life of the church in all these different places is, uh, is such a blessing. And that's the other use of the word church in the New Testament, which is very, very important. And that has to do with what's happening right here as well. We might think of it as, <clears throat> as a small C church. It refers to any particular expression of the big C church. And is found in any specific community organized to function around Christ as a local church. It was that sense that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, for example. Or the church in Thessalonica. And uh, in a whole lot of other places. And these churches were established through people's response to the preaching of the gospel. And this has continued all through history, including places like Tabor Alberta. <clears throat> the establishing of local churches has been an amazing work of God, but it is never without difficulties. And as Christians, we, we, we love Christ's church, but we don't always do so well with a local expression of it. So often we get into difficulty in the church. And I know that many of you have had different experiences with the church, and maybe some of them have been negative. And you know, there's so many things about the church that are imperfect. And we saw that already this morning in the things that have happened here among us, you know. It, it's just, there's so many things that are, are uh, less than uh, perfect as far as the church is concerned. And there's so many ways in which the church fails. And if the church has offended you, I feel badly about that. But this isn't, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can see that the church is still God's great way of trying to seek to minister to people around the world. As someone has said, the church is not a solarium for, for uh, saints, but a hospital for sinners. That makes, there's a huge difference, isn't there? It's a place where we come with all of our baggage and all of our problems, and we bring them here. And we say, Lord, have mercy. Be gracious to us. And uh, minister to us by your spirit. So it's easy to give up. But if you are a Christian and belong to the larger C church, then your participation in the small C church is really, really important. In fact, it's difficult to imagine how anyone can belong to the big C church without somehow also participating in the life of the small C church. And what the church, what the large church is in its grandeur, God intends the small C church to be in miniature. The good news about the church is that God hasn't left us without instruction and examples of how the church should function. So we keep going back to the manual given to us in in the scriptures about what the church is all about. And one of the best experiences of what the church should, should look like 
is given to us here in in Acts chapter 2. And as I say, said, this passage which uh, has in it um, an expression or description of the birth of the church when the Spirit of God was poured out upon it is really a a tremendous uh, ideal of what the church ought to be today. And, uh, you know, Peter preached, and, and I think it says here in the scriptures that he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation in his preaching. And the people accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. And then we have this description that I've read to you this morning. This is the church in its infancy, the organic expression, a kind of blueprint, if you like, of what the church is all about. And what we, hear, what we read here takes us past all the corruption that is often seen in the history of the church. It takes us back to the pristine nature of the church. When the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was formed, just as Christ had promised. That first church, it seems, had within it all the elements that should characterize every biblically authentic church today. So what principles of church life and ministry can we see in this first expression of it here in Acts chapter 2, which could also instruct us as to what the church should be like today? Well, basically what we have here is uh, a community of believers sharing in common the very life of the Spirit of God so that he has freedom to accomplish his purposes through the life and ministry of the church, his kingdom work. And I believe this is critical to any consideration of church today as well. First and foremost, we need to recognize that the church is a community, a spiritual community, because its members share in the very life of Christ by the Spirit through their common faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus did not intend his church merely to be a collection of isolated individuals who gather from time to time for some religious exercise. His intention was that they should share his very life together in some of the ways that we see demonstrated here in this passage. In the first place, God's intention is that the church be a learning community. And we could take this and take these in different order orders, I, I suppose, or in different order. But I, I want you to consider this to begin with. It says here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And one of the things that makes the church so special that it is grounded in that which is true, that which accurately describes the nature of God and his relationship to the world in which we live. And all of this has been made known to us in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, which, which must be foundational to our spiritual experience. And this is what the apostles' teaching really was all about. And what makes the church so special is this understanding of God's truth, which we call theology or doctrine. You know, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he refers to the church as the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's an amazing statement to me. Every local church today has, been, has to give attention to this whole matter of instruction in the truth. Else it's, it ceases to be the church. The church is not just a love-in. It, it is all about God's love. 
but we must never think of God's love as something that's separate from his truth. And it is a responsibility of the leaders of the church to ensure that truth is upheld and understood in the life of the church. Uh, they need to, and this, I think, is what is meant by the apostles' teaching. They were apostles by virtue of their time with Jesus and their commission uh, to, to, by him to go and, and uh, make disciples. And today, this idea of the apostles' teaching is expressed in the whole matter of what leadership in the church is all about. Something the Bible has a lot to say about. It involves the appointment of elders and deacons, for example. And elders, along with the lead elder, appointed pastor, are responsible before the Lord to provide spiritual direction for the church. And, the, and so this whole matter of, of leadership in the church is very, very significant, both pastoral, both lay elder leadership and so on. For as church leadership goes, so goes the church in many, re- in, in many respects. And so this is a good place to mention that the apostles' teaching also involved the matter of accountability. There had to be a distinction between what was true and what was not, between what was false and, and what was right. We read in the New Testament about how Paul warned people exercised discipline and instructed elders to do the same. For the work of the church to be effective, there must be this kind of accountability. And that is a huge aspect of what church membership is really all about. Especially in this time when there are so many ideas, so many voices, so much confusion. Accountability for what we believe and how we live it out is so important. But church membership is about a lot more than that. It's about commitment to active participation in the discipleship and discipling process. And because of the presence of the Spirit in each person who is part of the church, church membership is also about having a voice in the direction and ministry of the church. So people who become members of the church are saying that they belong to the Big C Church and that they want to be accountable and active participants in its more geographical form. I was thinking about this. You know, recently we've had a lot of uh, engagement as far as online kind of church ministry is concerned. And this morning, probably there are people who are listening online. And sometimes you have, and I have, listened on, online. And that's one form of participation in the church, but it's not really the best form. God intends us to actually attend and participate in body in the life of the church, right? There's a big difference. And so um, if, if you're thinking about this and haven't been in the church building yet, uh, this would be a, a good time to, to think about actually participating. So that's one thing. Secondly, if we, can, if we can take this passage as a pattern for what God intends for the church, the church should be, maybe this is where we should start, a worshiping Community. It says here that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It says that they broke bread and ate together in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Now, it's hard to know how that worship actually took place, what hymns and courses they, they used or what kind of musical instruments they had. Colossians 3 speaks of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But they worshiped and they broke bread together. That has special meaning, and we're going to do that at the end of the service today, is to break bread together because it refers to the Lord's Supper. 
and I think central to, to the worship and musical praise is this reference to the, the breaking of bread, which speaks of Christ, the very source of our spiritual lives in this community. Worship should never be a, a place of mere religious exercise, but of true, heartfelt expression to the Lord in prayer and praise, in our response to God's word, and in celebrating the gospel and presence of Christ. And so it is that we thank God for the worship teams here at Tabor EFC and the diligent work of our worship leaders, worship together uh, regularly in song and word and prayer, is such a vital aspect of the church's life and ministry. The Bible has a lot to say about worship ministries, and there are so many examples of worship in the Old Testament as well as in the, in the New Testament. And so uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it, is, is celebrating what we have in Christ through song. Thirdly, <clears throat> it is evident from the pattern established here that God intends his church to be a sharing and serving community. The early church, it seems, was characterized by the fellowship of eating together and the sharing of their material lives. It says that they ate together. They were characterized by hospitality toward one another and others. Now, I don't know of anything that binds people together like sharing food together. Wherever I've gone, one of the things that I've noticed about the church is its expression of hospitality of sharing life together, of eating together. And it seems the depth of community in any particular church, it seems, has a lot to do with the amount of mutual sharing that often also includes eating together in one form or another. And I've seen that here. This is one of the first expressions of community. And from there, the fellowship extended in other ways of sharing with one another, as was evident in this particular case, even to the point of selling their possessions for the sake of others in need. And at the least, this means that we need to be very practical about sharing our lives with one another. That's why we've got to be together. We've got to see each other. We've got to come together. We need to share uh, uh, with, with one another. <clears throat> and one of the greatest blessings of the church is, a, is this family, the family feel that it provides. And there are so many different expressions within the body of this family relationship. And we had an example of that this morning in what was shared with us concerning the youth ministry. One of the most important features of the church is the small groups that develop, the, the life groups, you call them here at, at uh, this church, of participating in a smaller expression of what the church is all about. And this is something that we're wanting to encourage more and more in these days that everyone would, would participate in a life group, would be, be part of some kind of uh, fellowship group and ministry group and so on. And finally, it appears from this very first example of the church that it was a community, <clears throat> it was an empowered community, a community sharing in the very presence of God and his saving grace. There was prayer but there are answers to prayer. It says that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You can't help but get the sense that God's presence and power were very much evident in that early church community. <clears throat> um, and so as you read the scripture, I don't think you can get around the fact that the church is, a, is about a lot more than simply believing or confessing the right things. It's also very much about seeing 
God at work in answer to prayer, and sometimes in some very unusual ways. One of the things that should characterize the church is, is prayer and trusting God for, for doing amazing things among his people. <clears throat> and uh, this is one of the reasons it's so wonderful to be a Christian, to see God answer specific prayer in our lives. <clears throat> And then one of the evidences of God's amazing work in the early church was that the Lord, it says, added to their number daily those who were being saved. <clears throat> the early church was characterized by prayer. And I pause here to ask, you know, what have you seen God do in answer to prayer in your own life recently? Or what has the church seen God do as people have uh, come to him in prayer, whether on, together on Monday nights or, or in other kinds of contexts. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an important aspect of the life of the church. Well, we have this wonderful summary statement here <clears throat> of what happened in that first church in Jerusalem. Evangelism in the first church of Jerusalem was very much uh, an organic kind of thing. It was the fruit of people opening their lives to the Holy Spirit, to one another, to the ministry of the Spirit, and to people around them in need. And I think that there certainly is a place for all kinds of programs regarding uh, evangelism and so on. But uh, th- there's a sense here that in this scripture that, that this happened as people were genuine about their own experience in the life of the church and in the, their relationship with the Lord. So today, just in conclusion, <clears throat> uh, you know, it's easy to come to... Uh, uh, the the uh, conclusion that the church is, is really no longer a major factor in our society. But from God's perspective, nothing could be further from the truth. The church, of course, exists in many forms in many different parts of the world. But it will continue to always be uh, God's primary means of special grace to the world, to save, to heal, to redeem, to educate, and to civilize. And in whatever form it exists, God's intention for the church is to be something like that first church there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> it should be, <clears throat> it should be uh, a community that uh, learns devotedly, that worships genuinely, that shares generously, that prays expectantly, and that evangelizes organically. And it is to this end that this church came to exi- into existence. And I know, you know, the, 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 the church has been through a lot in, uh, over the years. It's uh, just recently celebrated its 75th anniversary. <clears throat> but this is a time to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing with respect to God's intention for the church? How can we truly believe, how can we truly be the church, rather, that God had in mind for this community, despite its challenges and problems. Somebody has said that there is nothing like the church when the church is what God intended it to be. And I believe with all my heart that the church is central to all that God wants to do uh, around the world. Of course, you know, I've been employed by the church. I've been involved in the church. You might expect me to see this, say this. But I really, really believe in the, in the significance and importance of the church. 
And, and, and I hope that as we are in this time of asking, what's this church all about? And how can it be better? And what God had in mind for it? That we will ask ourselves, how can I participate in what God wants to do in the life of the church? This is a time of, of introspection. And uh, Ben, this morning, his prayer mentioned that we want to uh, assess more specifically what's happening in the church and how it, how it can be better in these days. So I, I trust that you'll pray for the church. This is a really important time for the church. And there's tremendous opportunity. I think if anything, coming out of yesterday, we all had a sense of, you know, there's, there's tremendous possibilities in what God is, is able and uh, certainly willing to do as we trust him for his work here. Uh, so that's that's my message to you this morning. It's a, it's a big message, a very important message. This message that's very much upon my heart is that the church might thrive and be all that God had in mind for it in these days. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of uh, of coming together to uh, worship you like this. It's been wonderful this morning to, to uh, just be together to have this time and this place every week, at least once, where we meet together and can give praise and honor to you. And uh, many of us can think of the blessings that have come to us because of the church. Though some of us have had disappointments with the church, I pray that you would help us to look beyond those as to what you really, really want to accomplish. Thank you, Lord, for, for... your plan through the church. Someday we'll see the completion of all this and see that vision, uh, the fulfillment of that vision that John had in Revelation uh, chapter 7. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to to, uh, take these truths this morning and think about them in terms of our own experience and relationship to the church and decide by your grace that that this is really, really special and really important in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to uh, enter into a time of... uh